Welcome to Collodine Granary Baptist Church Friday Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone, it's Liam here and welcome to this week's podcast episode. This is episode 10 of our podcast series and remember you can listen back to any of the previous episodes on the Anchor website or through any um, platform that you might use to get your podcasts. I hope you're doing well and uh, you've taken some encouragement from the announcement made by the Scottish Government this week as we've moved into the next phase of lockdown. Please keep praying for the church leaders and we're making decisions and thinking through um, each phase of lockdown as we hope to be able to meet as a church family and as we figure out when that might be. So please do keep the church leaders in prayer as we think about these things. For now though, let me tell you about this week's podcast episode because we have such a great show for you today. We're going to have a reflection from Sam Henry and he's going to be sharing from Romans chapter 8. We also have our worship from David. He has sang or come to the altar. And we're going to listen to this and reflect together. And finally, we have a special guest for our interview. And we have Reverend Dr. Steve Younger. And I had such a a blessed conversation with him, which greatly encouraged me. And I'm sure it will greatly encourage you as well. Steve is the minister of High Blantyre Baptist. However, he was one of the founding members at Collodine Baptist back in the 80s. And he has such an encouraging and, and a powerful testimony. And uh, I look forward to letting you hear that. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's podcast episode. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. I want to bring you today some thoughts around part of Romans chapter 8. Hope is a virtue deeply rooted in the Bible. And in the situation we find ourselves in at the moment with uh, lockdown gradually uh, easing up, perhaps it brings us some hope. Hope comes out of the many stories of crisis, despair and difficult times in the Bible and reveals how people of faith deal with adversity. I recall a a story that comes out of World War II. A submarine had sunk and rescue teams went down in search of survivors. Locating the sunken submarine, frogmen listened outside the hull for any signs of life. Then one of them heard a tapping noise. Closer listening revealed that what he was hearing was a message in Morse code. Someone trapped inside was desperately trying to communicate. As each letter was tapped, the frogman translated I-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-N-Y-H-O-P-E. The message was a question. Is there any hope? The frogman quickly tapped a response. Hope has arrived. 
Well, given the numerous problems we face in our nation and indeed throughout the world, many perhaps are asking that same question today. Is there any hope? Certainly people affected by the disaster we're living through, currently encountering, want to know. Good number of people perhaps will have lost their jobs, some their homes. Much of their savings, perhaps. They want to know, is there any hope? There are those who, of course, face major health issues. And perhaps for some life-threatening diagnoses, they too want to know, is there any hope? For those whom life has lost meaning and purpose, they want to know. There are times in all of our lives that we ask that same profound question. Is there any hope? So what leads one to have hope in times of despair and difficulty? To find an answer to that question, maybe we must define hope as a Christian virtue, a spiritual gift from God. It's not simply wishful thinking. It's the focus on the positive energy that gives us strength to face life's realities. Hope is the belief in a positive outcome related to events and circumstances in our lives. It's the feeling that a desired outcome is possible or that events will turn out for the best. Hope is grasping the ultimate truth about God's grace and love revealed in Jesus Christ that sees one through every stage and phase of life's journey. In the Acts of the Apostles, we are reminded that Paul suffered many hardships during his life as a missionary, yet he was steadfast in proclaiming a message of hope. This is what he wrote to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 8, he writes this to them. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for our sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. A number of years ago now, many of us will have watched on our television screens as an aircraft that had just taken off from one of the New York airports 
Flight 1549. Shortly after its takeoff, the captain came over the intercom to the passengers saying, brace for impact. Many of us will have seen those scenes where it came down on the River Hudson. Many called it the miracle on the Hudson. Indeed, the film was made with precisely that title. But one of the passengers in the aftermath stated that the plane crash gave us hope and a renewed appreciation for life. That day, in those final moments before the plane hit the water, many turned to God in prayer. He went on to say, no matter what our challenges or struggles may be, it really doesn't have to be so bad, so hopeless. We can still get up every day and appreciate the sunshine and the rain. We can still breathe. We can still love. For many, impending disaster turned out to be in one sense, the best moments of their lives to come. They found in that situation that there was reason to hope that something really good could come from something that looked very, very bad. Having recalled that day's event and the aftermath, it caused me to think that in a way we are all survivors of sorts. We face life's difficulties and challenges, battles and defeats. We've faced, or perhaps still facing to some extent, dark moments, the situation where conditions appear to be bleak. Most of us, I suspect, have had moments when we, like the passengers of that flight, have needed to brace for impact and to survive. In such times we too have sought hope and we've survived by the grace of God. We too have been touched by his grace. Edward Moat was a cabinet maker who became a Baptist minister, serving for some 26 years in Sussex. In 1834 he was inspired to write the words of a hymn. The Sunday after he'd written a couple of verses and the chorus, following worship, a parishioner informed him that the parishioner's wife was very ill and asked him to visit. That afternoon, Edward Moat went to their home. It was his usual custom during such a visit to sing a hymn, read a portion of scripture and offer a prayer. However, he'd failed to bring his hymn book. But he did have with him the words from the newly written hymn, so he offered to sing it. The parishioner's wife was deeply touched and appreciative of the song. Her positive response inspired Moat to write two more verses when he returned home. He had a thousand copies printed and distributed, and soon it became one of the most popular songs of its day. The message was clear and offered a word of hope for his dying parishioner. And it's done the same for countless others in despair throughout the years. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground 
is sinking sand. So perhaps for us today, the word is this. Hope has arrived. It lifts us up when we are down. It provides encouragement in times of distress. It has the power to overcome doubt and conquer fear. And that's the good news. Hope will see us through no matter what. Our hope is built on that promise through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we sing with the saints of old, my hope is built on nothing less. Thanks be to God for this spiritual gift that keeps on giving. No matter what life may bring our way, hope abides. In the end, there is victory. God has the final word. Thanks be to God. Finishing with words from 2 Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. this week 
for our interview. And we have a special guest with us. And it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Reverend Steve Younger, um, who's with me this afternoon. Do you want to say hello to everybody, Steve? Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, special hello to Sam. <laughs> yes, he's, uh, he's on our reflections this week. Um, yeah, it's great to have you. Um, Steve, you are the minister at High Blantyre Baptist, and you're also um, a lecturer at the Baptist College. You were one of my lecturers uh, last year for the homiletics class, which was my favourite class that I've done in my four years at the college. Um, it's an excellent class. But why, You've why already don't... passed. You've already <laughs> passed. You yeah. don't get any extra marks for that. <laughs> Brilliant. But why, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. Uh, well, as you say, I'm the pastor of High Blantyre Baptist Church, uh, just outside Glasgow. I've been there for 33 years, so they are getting used to me. Um, I've also got a number of other hats that I wear, though. You mentioned the lecturing. So one day a week, I'm an associate lecturer at the Scottish Baptist College in Paisley. I cover the creative homiletics. I'll be doing the pastoral care module and I do one on schools chaplaincy. And another day a week, I work as the project worker for Christian Values in Education Scotland. It's a project training um, school chaplains, basically. So that, that all keeps me busy. Excellent. Thank you. So why don't you tell us, how, how did you first um, become a Christian? How did you start coming to church? Did you go when you were younger? Or did you come a bit when you were older? I avoided church like the plague when <laughs> I was younger. Um, as I was growing up, my dad at that time was quite a violent, unpredictable man. Um, a lot of alcohol, um, very touchy. It felt like um, watching for the next explosion. Mm. Um, and I was aware growing up, one of the points of tension was actually church because my mum tried, tried to get to church, wanted to get to church, and that would cause these arguments. Uh, I had no particular interest in it. Um, I started with alcohol myself by stealing my dad's alcohol. So I started drinking when I was about 11, 12, because it was there in the home. So it's quite a, in some ways, quite a disturbed background. Um, and I managed to get a place at university, headed off at 17 to university. And the, the, the freedom, I just indulged myself and it was a disaster. Mm. And it was while at university, I met a couple of Christians. I'd got into a pattern of violence myself, alcohol abuse, um, self-harming. And when you start down that path, it just kind of escalates, it increases. So I, I knew very little about Jesus. But in the midst of all of this, as I say, I met a couple of Christians at university who began witnessing, and I liked their life. And my dad became a believer. And I would go home some weekends and I would see the difference in him. And I found it actually quite unsettling and scary. I didn't know what had happened to him. I was just kind of pushing him, waiting to see when he would blow up again. And he didn't. Um, but I kind of went back to university and my conversion was the toss of a coin. The pattern of self-harming, of alcohol abuse had built up, uh, away from all home restraints. Mm. And 
I sat one night literally with a knife in hand thinking toss a coin I've had enough of this heads kill myself tails try this Jesus and that was my conversion came down tails try Jesus and that was the switching point that was the that night was the absolute turning point mm-hmm. and the the next day I just had to get a bible I had to start reading it and this kind of hammering in my head get hold of a bible I went to church that Sunday and that was really the first time I had been in a church yeah thank you and and following university you and I think during university actually as well you you really felt that calling to ministry and uh, you actually became a, a part of Collarine back in the beginning. You you lived in Glenrothes. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your your calling to ministry, about your time in Collarine? Um, yeah. yeah, you lived in Glenrothes and you went to, to St Andrews during all this time as well. So you're Fife, Fife born and bred. <laughs> I'm actually born in London. In London, that's right. That's yeah, right. <laughs> uh, my mum is a Cockney. My dad was a is a Kirkcaldy man. Mm-hmm. And they met when she came up to uh, do her midwifery training across in Kirkcaldy. Mm-hmm. So I was actually born in London, and I maintain my first words were, take me to Scotland. <laughs> we moved up when I was nine months old. Um, so that's how uh, we arrived in Fife. I'm really kind of brought up in Fife, uh-huh. but uh, mixed accent, as you can hear, with a Cockney mother and a Scots father. Yeah. I um, that night of crisis when I tossed a coin totally changed me. The only way I can describe it is a bit like a hot bath being tipped over me, washing me clean. And that night I cried myself to sleep. Mm-hmm. The next morning when I woke up, I had a nine o'clock lecture. Who, who has nine o'clock lectures? <laughs> Goodness me. But uh, There's not many students about at nine o'clock in the morning. And I was walking from my hall of residence through Kinburn Park in St. Andrews, totally deserted, nobody else there. And genuinely, this is the only way I can say it, God spoke to me. And he said, Steve, I want you as my minister. So this was 12 hours after the conversion crisis. God said, I want you as a minister. And I just remember standing in that park, laughing telling God in four-letter words, sorry, where to go. Um, I carried on to that lecture, and I think I, I didn't take in a word. I was just sitting at the back, chuckling my way through it, me as a minister. But it was that sudden realization, God knew my name. Mm-hmm. He wanted me as a minister. Uh, and I started going to church that Sunday. In fact, I went to every church I could get to. I just looked at their notice boards and went to every meeting I could get to. Mm. Even walked into a ladies' meeting at one point. <laughs> it was great. I never got so many custard creams and cups of tea. And they welcomed me in. But I, I just absorbed everything I could. And after a few months, it suddenly clicked as I passed a pub that had not been in a pub for five, six months, and I hadn't missed it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I thought, God, you're real. You've, you've done something here. And I remember saying, okay, if you think you can make me a minister, go ahead. And I finished off the degree. 
at the end of that term, I promised a Christian friend at university I would get into a church. So I went back for the summer holiday and said to my mum and dad, can I go to church with you? And after I picked them up off the floor, <laughs> they said, yeah, that's okay. And it was Leslie Baptist Church. So I went with them to Leslie Baptist Church and uh, I said, can I get baptised? So Derek Overfield baptised me in Leslie Baptist Church. And I think two Sundays later, there was an announcement that they were starting a new church at a place called Collideen. And they were looking for volunteers. So I just kind of stuck my hand up and said, I'll go. And I think I was a group, Sam was part of that group. Uh, there was a group of us were set apart to help start the work at uh, Collideen. Uh, Jim Thompson, Jim and Agnes Thompson were part of that group as well. And Jim was the rates assessor from Fife, and he had been able to obtain the lease on the Collideen Granary building. Council put a roof on, put a steel frame in, and that was it. That's all we had. And literally, we arrived on a building site, and I learned how to cut dwangs. <laughs> I learned how to construct uh, walls. And I helped put in the floor, your upper floor. Uh, we physically built the car park, did the landscaping, and that was my first introduction to Collideen, and I loved it. Immersing myself in a, a small fellowship, learning from the, the believers, and being given a place, being able to help. Yeah, yeah. I find that I find that amazing how how our, how our paths have crossed over the from from the small beginnings of Collodine to to being able to encourage you with where God's taken us as a church over these past few years, um, and it's amazing how these how our paths God God brings people together in in quite amazing ways. But um, when you were at Collodine, did you continue to explore that calling into ministry? When when was your decision to go and study and um, to be a minister? I, in my last year at university, um, following up from this God telling me I was to be a minister, mm -hmm. I'd been baptised at Leslie, I was in membership at Coddy Dean, so I applied to the Baptist ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Barber was the general secretary at the time, and uh, I went to the full ministerial board for an interview, uh, and I was, I was a mess still, there was still things God was sorting out was an arrogant so-and-so. Uh, I was telling him, can you not see what God has done? He's called me to ministry. And I just remember the very last interview in front of the whole board. Somebody said, if we turn you down for ministry training, what will you do? And I said, I would tell you, you were all idiots <laughs> that couldn't see what God has done. And I'll, I would be back next year and the year after until you get it. Oh dear, apologies to them. So they turned me down. Uh, and that in some ways was quite devastating. But I realized actually this was God's doing. And it made me go back and think, right, um, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, what do I need to do to be obedient to this call to ministry? And that year I sorted out, I think, quite a lot. I had... Um, I had to repeat my last year at university as well because of a, a medical accident and shattered my cartilage playing squash. Mm 
had to learn to walk again. So there was a lot of went on in that year. So a year later, I came back to the ministry board uh, a little bit quieter, a little bit more tactful. I'd also met and married my wife, Chris, in that time. So it was a huge adjustment to make all of this going on. All that time, I worked away at Collidine. Um, and that was a lifesaver in some ways. And then finished my degree, appeared at the ministry board, and they said, yes, can you start training for ministry? And I thought they meant a year on, but they said college starts in three weeks. <laughs> so that was it. I went from university to the Baptist College for four years. Um, it felt a bit like a prison sentence when they said four years. But it was invaluable. You know yourself, you've experienced a bit of the, the fellowship at college and the learning and the growth that goes on. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And you've yeah. come full circle now in being a, an associate lecturer at the college. I've ended up back at the college, yeah, yeah. It's which is it's lovely. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to, to pay back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in those moments... Um, as you look to follow Christ, has there been significant moments that have really helped to form your faith, to form Steve that we, we see today? What, what, has, what has helped you most in, in shaping you as a Christian and drawing closer to Christ? I was thinking about that, and I mentioned, for example, um, sh shattering a cartilage, playing squash. Mm -hmm. I look back on that now as one of the most painful experiences. I, you know, as a I would have been, what, 21 about, 21 at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I thought it was going to be quite a quick fix. But I remember coming round from the anaesthetic and the surgeon was there, Dr. Mukherjee. I don't know if he's still practicing. Mm -hmm. But he said, well, young man, that was worse than we expected. And you might not walk again. And, you know, at 21, you think, oh, I'd just become a Christian. Uh, I was wondering what is God doing with all this? But it became the most formative time in some ways because for quite a long period I was immobilized, um, couldn't, couldn't walk. It did take a while to learn to walk. But in that time, I just read the Bible. It was a gift from God. I think for about six weeks, I only read one book. And it was the Bible. And I read it from the beginning to the end. And then I went back and read it again. I don't know how many times I read through it. But the foundation it gave me has been quite incredible. Mm -hmm. And the sense of where things fitted, the sequence, how it all worked together. And even now, I can remember bits that I read lying in that bed. It was, it was you know, book held up here. Yeah. Um, that, the, the other thing I think that's been foundational for me has been fellowship with other believers. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got to college, I, I became very friendly with Nigel Heath. Our last year overlapped. And we both went into ministry at the same time. We'd been through college at the same time. And when we went into ministry, we began a pattern of weekly meeting for mm -hmm. prayer. And to this day, we still keep that. 
And that too has been absolutely foundational. That's been a big part of, of my life. As somebody who's um, calling me to account, mm -hmm. somebody who's there supporting me, and I do the same for him. Mm -hmm. So it's those, those two things I think have been the most yeah. formative. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a, a bit of a curveball at you. It's not one that we spoke about before, but you've you've said that you work with Christian values and education in Scotland, mm. and you're going to be doing the chaplaincy course as well. Do you want to? Firstly, why don't you tell us how you how um, school chaplaincy has become a passion for you? And also, you know, as a church, we, I've, I've spoken to you a lot about the chaplaincy work that we do. Um, what, why is chaplaincy work so important for churches to be participating in? In a nutshell, it comes down to statistics. And I like to tell people this in the, the very first class in the chaplaincy course, that uh, if you carried out a survey, as it was done by Tear Fund two years ago, of Scottish churches, as to how many not to 18-year-olds are in church, it's thousands. And you could, you'd be encouraged. You would think, that's brilliant. I think if, from memory, it's about 54,000 are in Scottish churches from that age group. And you think, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. But then statistically, you realise that's 5% of the not to 18-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Now, why chaplaincy matters is if you look at the statistics for not to 18-year-olds that are in education, so preschool, nursery, primary school, secondary school, tertiary education. Not to 18 year olds, 95% of them go through that. Mm -hmm. It's 5% disengaged for all sorts of reasons. But it's then a very simple question, isn't it, of strategy. Mm -hmm. If you want to win the next generation, if you want to interact with the next generation, tell them the wonders of God, you can spend a whole lot of time and energy and investment and effort and you'll get 5% in your buildings for half an hour a week, one hour a week. If you can become part of a school and fit into the curriculum for excellence and the opportunities for religious and moral education, time for reflection, you reach 95% of that age group. And what people learn in their early years becomes the foundation for their lives. For me, it's, it's a question of strategy. Mm. There's also a personal issue, I suppose, when I think how damaged I was as a child. Mm. The opportunity to be in schools and to change that story for people, I find that incredibly mm. exciting. That's a privilege. Mm. When you work with a young person and you see their lives transformed by Jesus, I, I, sometimes I get dismayed at teachers that look at a class and say, that one's going to end up in prison. Mm. And I look at them and think, no, not if I can help it. Mm. Not if the Lord intervenes. And that's, that, that's the buzz. Yeah. And you see somebody changed at that early age. Mm -hmm. A whole new destiny. Yeah. I just love being in a school setting. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's really encouraging too. Yeah. But yeah. as we know that schools aren't meeting at the at the moment, a lot of places, a lot of things aren't happening at the moment during the coronavirus and the pandemic. Um, 
wonder what what have you been up to during lockdown? You've had your church to keep you busy, the, some students to keep you busy as well. And um, what have been some of the challenges for you um, as you've been through lockdown too? Uh, our church stuff has moved on to Zoom. Uh, and because actually I was using Zoom within the college context, I was reasonably familiar and comfortable with it already. Um, college has continued. Within a week, college shifted from face-to-face -face meetings to online and blended learning. So that kept me busy. And the Christian values in education, I, had a, I was doing a lot of training days for the education authorities, training chaplains and youth workers and school staff to do the time for reflection and spiritual development within the curriculum. All that got cancelled, but it's slowly picking up as it goes online. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, last week, I actually had a meeting with 15 school staff and chaplains from the Western Isles, but it was all online. And then the week before that, there was a 35 gathered from uh, the Edinburgh area, Christian staff, chaplains, and so on. So we're able to do the training online. Uh, I took part in a Church of Scotland discussion forum as well, 65 chaplains, all thinking about how they could still relate to schools and serve their schools. Loads of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, very busy by the end of things. <laughs> I'm not bored. No, no. <laughs> There's enough to keep me going. Yeah. People have said that they found that either they've become very, very much more busy or they felt like they've had nothing to do. But it sounds like you're on the, the scale of being very busy <laughs> just now. I've um, found, I think I'm just as busy, maybe slightly busier. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. But I want to go back to your testimony because I'm... Yeah. With, um, with your testimony... You know, belonging is is a is a very important thing for 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 yourself for for Christians, and we've had people. I think I was saying before we started a recording, people who have become began coming to our church during lockdown. And um, what what would you say to somebody who's never experienced God, who might be listening, they've never come to church before? What what would you want to say to them about coming and being a part of a, a fellowship and a family? You told me this question was coming up and I was thinking about it. For me, I suppose it's having a future, having a hope. We all have the existential questions, you know, why am I here on earth? What's the point of living and so on? And as I said in my testimony, I'd got to the point of actually self-harming. I didn't like what I was. I wished I could be better, but I couldn't see any hope. I remember some, it's odd the mindset you get into, but I would cut myself thinking if I could get into the real me, I could sort things out. It's bizarre the thinking you go through when you're self-harming. But that a sense of having no hope, no purpose, no meaning to life. Uh, I remember a chance conversation with my mum at one point I'd come home for a weekend, I would have been about 17, 18, and she was saying, you look a bit down, and I said, ah, I can't be bothered. I don't see the point in life. And she said, surely, surely there's hope. Mm 
And I said, no, there's no hope. I don't see the point in living. It's funny how that comes back to mind. I'd almost entirely forgotten that. And she looked shocked. And I don't think she quite knew at that point what to say. But that sense of living life without hope, with no sense of meaning to it, what's the help you get from Jesus? It's that hope. It's that sense of purpose. It's that sense of meaning to your life. That's the difference. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And our, our last question, we've, a, we've asked all our guests over the past 10 weeks. Our, our podcast is themed around um, when we look up to the hills, where does my help come from? It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. I, I think you've answered it, but if you could simply say in, in, in a, a few sentences, what, what does that mean to you to say that your help comes from the maker of heaven and earth? It means... I've got that hope. I've got that companion, that God who is always with me. It means when it all gets too much for me, I can look up, I can see him. And when I'm sinking down, I look up and there's his hand taking hold of me, pulling me back up. You know, I think I was doing a wee reflection about this at the the college service at the end of term, that we've developed in the last few weeks and months, we're always looking down, aren't we? We're looking down at a screen. We're looking down at books. We're looking down at what's going on around us. And for me, the difference is you look up to the Lord. It's a a shift of perspective. I think that's what it means for me. I'm not stuck down here. I'm looking up, looking ahead. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, Steve, thank thank you very much for um, being my interviewee. I've really appreciated it. And uh, yeah, it's just been a privilege to be able to hear your story. And um, bless you as you're um, giving for those up in High Blantyre. We're praying and thinking about you all. Um, Thank you for the invitation as well. Over the years, I've kept in touch with Sam, of course, and uh, I've kept up to date with the how things have gone at Collidine, and I still pray for you. Mm. In those early couple of years when I was at college, I came back once a month to preach at Collidine, and it's Collidine has always been a part of my story mm-hmm. and a part of um, my sense of God's kingdom at work, and it's been a delight to see how it's survived and it's thriving, mm. and you've found your place in the community. Yeah. Absolutely. It's encouraging to see. Yeah, it's, yeah we're really thankful. Thankful to God for, for all he's doing. And that we can be a part of that. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well thank you again. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to see you soon. Invite you down to preach sometime once again. Yep. That would be, nice. be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. God bless you all. Thank you. that is it for this week's podcast episode. Special thank you to our guests. Thank you to Sam 
and to David and of course to Steve for being a part of this week's episode. I've decided that for now we're going to take a break from doing the weekly podcasts. We're going to do something different in the future. Maybe the podcast will have a different structure and different segments. Maybe you're going to hear some feedback on this. And of course, if you would like to be involved in any of the podcast episodes in the future, then please do get in touch. Um, as always, I want to hear as many voices as possible speak through in what we're trying to do. And of course, I'll be sure to let you know of all the changes and when the podcasts will start up again. I just wanted to say, though, thank you to you who have listened. Thank you to all those who have participated. You know, when we first started doing these podcasts and it was laid on my heart to do them at the start of lockdown, I had no idea where God would be leading us in anything we were doing. But I've been so encouraged to hear of people feeling like they've got to know others more, drawn closer to each other as a church. And also I'm so greatly encouraged by the reflections, by the way that we've all been able to get involved in these episodes. I'm thankful to God for all that he has provided for us, for the messages that he has put in people's hearts and for the way that we've been able to respond more to him through the different voices that we've been able to hear. God bless you all and thank you for being a part of this journey. It's been great to have you along with it. For now though, God bless, take care, stay safe and uh, I hope to see you all really soon.